Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast where we talk about real Canadian rugby. I'm Shu Hardy joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, it's been some uh, big games being held this uh, past weekend. You know, crowds of over 10,000 on two occasions. One, of course, being the MLR Championship Final held in Chicago and the other being the second round or... Well, third round. Second, over. It, it's yeah. complicated. But second second round of games for the Pacific Four Series held in Ottawa. And, you know, because of the timing of things, obviously, uh, you know, it's a double header going on in Ottawa, which meant that the USA versus Australia game was held at the same time as the championship final. So uh, because they're not Canadian, we uh, ignored that one. <laughs> we... And uh, we're focusing on the other games. But... Yeah, like I said, both games had attendances over 10,000, which is huge for North American rugby. Yeah, I think um I think ultimately like at the end of the day, like no matter what teams you cheer for um out of these games or even if you're just a neutral, like I guess for the MLR game, I'm sure a lot of people are just neutrals for that watching it because it's the MLR championship, but um like for the Pacific Four series, the MLR championship, like no matter who you cheer for, I think like it's a uh, really big win for uh, North American rugby this weekend. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, the Pacific Force Series was on TSN. Um, TSN proper, too, Saturday mm-hmm. night uh, at 7, which is obviously um, a super culturally significant time slot for Canadians. Um, mm-hmm. Saturday night at 7 is obviously, you know, it's reserved for, like, the like marquee sporting events every week mm-hmm. right obviously in the winter it's hockey night in canada's time slot but it kind of translates to the summer too it's uh um but um like that was cool because it's like i mean a lot of people obviously watched it there was a couple cfl games happening at the same time and uh tsn like who obviously the cfl is a really big deal for tsn mm-hmm. um tsn still gave um women's rugby like the airtime that it deserves by devoting one of their five channels to showing that live and then i think all i think the other four all had cfl on it but um (laughs) that they uh they did the one which was which is great um great to see um and then yeah obviously the mlr championship too um probably the absolute best looking broadcast i think the league has had just from a pure like visual standpoint looking at the broadcast on the game. I know it sounds like they did a like almost three hour like pregame show, um, mm. which is really cool. I missed it because I had an Aussie rules game at 12. So I kind of played in that and then had to rush home to uh, make sure I got home on time for the three o'clock kickoff. But um, I love that they did that. Um, and, you know, all the other, uh, the broadcast itself looked great. The uh, obviously, you know, since there's no other MLR games, the bigger than normal um, broadcast team kind of, I think, added to it. Everybody had um, everybody brought some, you know, um, helpful and uh, thoughtful insight to the game. Um, the I thought um, Ben Holden and Mike Petrie and Brianna Kim in the booth um, did a really good job of, you know, recognizing that this is probably the first rugby game that a lot of people are going to watch because it is the final and it's on Fox uh, and explaining rules, but also not doing it in a way that annoys diehard fans that have done that 
fully understand the rules and stuff like they pick their spots to explain what like the rule is and did it in a way that makes it sound like they're they're just talking about like strategy and things naturally in the flow of the game um so i thought they did a really good job of that and hopefully uh any new fans that did watch in pick something up and learn something from them um listening to the game uh but yeah the whole the whole thing from like that broadcast standpoint and stuff everything was great the event in Chicago seemed amazing too. The event in Ottawa seemed incredible as well. I think at the end of the day, like you said, starting off this podcast, um, no matter who you cheer for, it's pretty awesome that 20,000 people watched live rugby in North America this past weekend. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot more watched um, watch those uh, three plus games. I think there was a couple of curtain raisers and stuff in Ottawa too. Um, so they watched those three plus games um, on TV or streamed them or however anybody watched them. So um, that's a, you know, it's a pretty, all things considered pretty a uh, great day for a uh, North American rugby on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Let's get into uh, these events themselves. And I think calling them events is probably uh, more accurate than just calling them well, games. I think that's how Chicago marketed this too, though, which I think is a, great thing for them and a big um a big plus do you want to talk about like the a little a bit of like the actual event and stuff first what'd you think of the neutral venue thing like because obviously this was a topic of conversation earlier or yeah, whatever. so like, what'd you think of just before we actually get into the game like the whole yeah yeah so okay let's let's talk about it because this was um when you go back to neutral venues hosting the final you go back to you know the first year of MLR in 2018 where it was at um it held in San Diego and i think it was predetermined that San Diego were hosting again in 2019 as well the fact that yeah. uh the legion made the final was just a wonderful coincidence but you look back at the first uh final between Glendale and Seattle and there's only a handful of fans there really it's not even like the San Diego faithful it's um you know just a ragtag bunch of you know some people that could come out but you know, really not a lot of people. And I think that was a big concern for a lot of fans, um, especially as well when you look over like the past couple of uh, seasons where the final's been hosted by the home team and there's that, you know, soft guarantee that you can have, um, you know, a great turnout as was proven by LA and and um was not unfortunately not so much with <laughs> yeah, New i was York. gonna say it's like you have to cut this uh this sentence off yeah. here soon yeah um but is that like there's that idea in theory and stuff like that and i think it was last year being a case of they have, because they didn't play at the red bull arena I think, all season yeah. that you know people were then a bit confused the kickoff time was ridiculously early as well and so it's basically felt that New York were winning in a cauldron to no one. Credit where it's due, MLR came out and said, okay, Chicago's going to be hosting it. And from that announcement, they have never stopped promoting that yeah, the finals I'm, in I'm Chicago. There, yeah. And yeah, so I think the promotional efforts by uh, MLR have greatly helped as well. Um, the Having the junior tournament as part of the... Very cool, yeah. uh, 
pre uh, pre game uh, festivities guarantees a number of people coming in through the gate, especially young fans as well that can you know even if they're not affiliated with either of the teams playing they can they can come along they can see what championship rugby looks like they can you know they say like okay i'm gonna go with like the black and red team well i'm going with the red blue and white team instead and just you know mix it up and just and just have fun enjoying the game you know learning as you're going and stuff like that um so yeah credit where it's due um you know, I think they, I think MLR proved a lot of doubters and naysayers wrong with hosting it in Chicago. And if they've already made a decision of where the 2024 final is going to be held, then they just got to keep it up and just keep promoting it and be, especially with like the youth outreach as well in whichever city or um, area it's being hosted in. And yeah. I think you're guaranteed then to have a great turnout. Yeah, no, I I loved it this uh this year. I think, you know, like you said it's like I think over the first few years of the MLR here, they've obviously have done both. They've done the neutral venue and they've done the highest seated home highest seated team that makes the final hosts. Um LA I think worked worked out pretty well. Um New York obviously did not. I think part of New York though was as you said the change of stadium. So it was like like what day of the week did we actually learn where that game was going to be played? Like I think I, it, I think I it was remember. like the Tuesday. Yeah, like so like Tuesday hosted. or something before, right? Um and it was like yeah, like I don't even think like New York fans knew where that game was going to be played, which is just like you know, obviously a bit of a a bit of an an issue which is added to it. I think watching this though, I think the MOR is is learning a lot as I, like just as a league, as you know, this league gets older and older, season goes on, and like I think they are learning a lot. And I think one thing that we've seen is like I think the neutral venue final really can work for Major League Rugby. Yeah, um, I think if you look at um, really the only other two leagues in North America that are super comparable structure-wise, which would be the NFL and the Super Bowl and the CFL and the Grey Cup, where you mm-hmm. both where you have both have leagues that um teams play once a week and then you get to the playoffs and it's single knockout playoffs, right? Um and both of those leagues, the great, uh, the Grey Cup and the Super Bowl, are all neutral venue every year, and every year it's obviously like a huge event. And I think that can also be the kind of like the way you go with Major League Rugby. I think that formula works. I think the idea too of, as you said, like it's it's tough for neutral fans to buy game tickets when you don't know where the game's going to be. Yeah. Um, if you know where the game's going to be months in advance, when did they announce that Chicago was hosting? I don't even remember. Oh, this is back in like uh, April, May time, I think. Yeah, exactly. So if you know where the final's going to be months in advance, um, like you can book tickets to go. I mean, I think that's the the beauty of like MOR, like it's and most of the major sports leagues in North America, they're all in like all the teams are in like world class cities, right? Like you, every like every city is kind of a bit of a destination in their own right. So I'm sure wherever you put it, people would be willing to travel to Toronto or Boston or uh, New yeah. York, Chicago, etc. Right? 
so I think that element works because it's easier for neutral fans to plan. And it's also a like if I mean if you're if you're on the fence of it and the fence and you need like your team to make it to the final to push you over, it's still also easier to plan because you know where it is. But I think you have that. I think a big thing though, like you said, was kind of the event aspect of it. Having Shaq DJ before the game, having Shaq also kind of do like the uh, you know bring out the uh, the game ball and stuff too. That was cool. Uh, the Dropkick Murphys performing after, uh, which is obviously a massive band, right? So I mean, you're probably, yeah. well, you're selling tickets, right? I'm willing to bet there was people that were at that game that were just there to watch the Dropkick Murphys after. Um, I really yeah. hope that they're super into rugby um now or i hope they really enjoyed that game yeah i, th- I think I as well guarantee there's people that did that um which is great by the way it's not a bad thing yeah if you think how much concert tickets can cost yeah. you and the so and that's a you said huge band too yeah exactly and that's the thing if you was, yeah. so if you say i'm a fan of dropkick murphys and yeah you know they haven't been in chicago for a while and then you find that oh they're playing yeah. Uh, they're, they're playing as like the post party for this sport that you've never heard of, but the t- but the tickets are forty bucks. Yeah, so and like you just get on the use public transit to get over there. Um, a lot they seem to be doing a lot of drinking in the stands apparently. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, well, yeah, and then and then afterwards you get a dropkick dropkick Murphy's yeah, concert. Dropkick so Murphy. yeah, right. Now this is the thing we've been talking about the lead up to the game. Let's talk about the game itself. Yeah. So I want to come back to the dropkick Murphys after we talk about the game, though. Well, interesting. We will get to that. Um. So yeah, we start off. We have the two most successful teams in MLR this season: uh, San Diego and New England. Um. So the game gets started off. It goes really well, and then just when you think it goes really oh, well for who? That's a subjective point of view there. Well, the game just gets started until uh, the first uh, gap, which is, comes at like the fourth minute mark, where uh, Will Hooley passes to Ma Nanu, and Nanu must have had a miscommunication or something because he doesn't get the ball, and then Jacobson from New England pounces on it, and suddenly we have the first try of the game, and you know the momentum going one way suddenly spins, and these two teams. Both known for scoring tries and scoring lots of them uh, this season. Mm-hmm. And immediately it's basically who could concede first, who can make a mistake first. And turns out it was San Diego. However, then you move on, you know, it can be very easy, you know, especially when you mistake, when you make a mistake to lose momentum. But, you know, San Diego came right back in it five minutes later with Poydevan getting over for the first try for the Legion. And, you know, all of a sudden, you've got like an even game. It's seven all. It's going pretty well. And then, uh, you know, a few errors from San Diego allows Potros to take a kick at the sticks. And suddenly they're getting a couple of penalties. So they're up in this game. But then, you know, San Diego, you know, they're making movements and they get another try this time from Nate Orsberger. And Huli, again, uh, great with uh, his kicks as well because he's got two conversions now. And then just before you close out the half, Hooley with a penalty when the clock's in the red to make it uh, to make it San Diego with like the definite lead going into the sticks. So I think it was 17-10 at this point. So, you know, a lead, but, you know, one score can change it all. 
And speaking of which, um, you know, five five minutes into the second half, uh, Paul Balacana, who scored, I, I think he's the top uh, try scorer for New England this season, goes over uh, to score another, and suddenly it's all uh, it's all even again. We're all doing all right, and um, just around about the hour mark is then Nate Osberger going over for his second try of the game. Again, Hooley converting it. So San Diego now on 24 points and New England on 20. So, you know, a penalty isn't going to cut it. You got to, you know, get your guys in position. You got to get ready. You got to get going over. And to be fair, they put a lot of pressure on San Diego for a long time until uh, Nonu again, you know, of all Nonu's great games, uh, this wasn't one of them. Uh, but, yeah. you know, with, with that experience, he knows when opportunities can become available. But unfortunately, it's just ensuring those opportunities stick together. He uh, dashed out online looking for an intercept, was a bit out of step. And instead, it was Larue Milan uh, getting the ball, finding the gap caused by uh, Nonu surge and going over to score a try. And then the conversion is missed. So it is a one-point game. And, you know, um, Sam Fischel, uh, sorry, Sam uh, Fischilli, uh gets it wrong on the restart. The ball is straight back into San Diego's hands. It looks as though we're setting up for a drop goal. And the ball gets passed to Nonu, but it's bounced off the turf and then it gets knocked on. And suddenly it's a scrum. All the free jacks have to do is control it and get the ball out. And that's all they need to do. Potra's kicking it into touch. The final score, San Diego 24, New England 25. For New England, obviously, this is their first championship win. Um, you know, impressive since they've done it within the first three years. Another expansion side getting it. For San Diego, this is a game of lots of what ifs. What if that? Um, what if those passes had found hands? What if uh, Nanu had caught that intercept and had been able to go the distance to score a try? What if the drop goal had connected? And you know, a lot of uh, memories from 2019 creeping back in. But from a neutral, what an absolute thriller and a total classic. That'll be talked about for a long time to come. This was a fantastic game to watch. And even just going back and watching the highlights was, yeah, you, you could tell that history was being made. Oh, man. This, yeah, this game is incredible. It's probably the best MLR final um, out of the, the five that have been played so far. And I think, yeah, like, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, obviously probably a lot of people watching this game, uh, watching a rugby game for the first time. If that's your first rugby game, um, I don't know how you would not be hooked um, after seeing that. That was crazy. Um, lots of skill on display, lots of huge hits, um, obviously an absolutely thrilling finish coupled with, um, you know, the super couple super late lead changes and obviously um Milan gets to be the hero and um gets um with the try at the end of the game there. Um I think though we got to hit the uh, the biggest talking point of this game though, which mm -hmm. is congratulations to Cole Keith, Andrew Quatrain, Spencer Jones 
Connor Keyes, Ben Lesage, Regan O'Gorman, Foster Dewitt, Isaac Olson, Connor Young, Ethan Fryer, and the Free Jacks captain, Josh Larson, as well as the rest of your teammates. Um, 11 Canadians um, get to add... um, add their name to the list of the growing list of MLR shield champions. And, uh, you know, when it's a great day for uh, Canada, it is therefore a great day for the rest of the world. Um, (laughs) is obviously part of the rest of the world. They seem to be enjoying their day quite a bit. Um, And um, yeah, like it was great. Obviously not all 11 of those guys were in the lineup and factored in, uh, but the ones that did Andrew Quatrin, I thought was, uh, he was great. Um, Keith was really good coming in off the bench too. Connor keys has been outstanding like all year. Um, and he seemed to get better and better as the season goes went on. Uh, lots of impact at the lineup, lots of impact at the breakdown made a lot of tackles in this game. Um, Right. And so I think I think that was great. Ben Lesage um, was obviously, you know, obviously also made a huge impact as well. San Diego, I mean, obviously, like Nanu and Brocky really didn't have much going on. And I think mm-hmm. that's just credit to Ben Lesage and obviously LaRue Milan as well. And, um, you know, Milan obviously comes away with the uh, the try at the uh, the end of the game. But, you know, all the all the Canadians that were in this game um, played great, made a big impact, um, big impact for New England. And uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit last week, how it's it's really cool to see, um, you know, an MLR team that is basically built around Canadians um, and a few international players. Um, who again, like I don't, I don't think the start again. I don't think their starting lineup featured an American um, in this game, either. Which isn't anything like against Americans. I'm not trying to say that, <laughs> but it is really cool to see. Like it's like, yeah, Canadians. Uh, it's a lot of Canadians in their in their lineup, and a lot of Canadians that factor into um, the success of the New England Free Jacks. And a lot of these guys are, you know, obviously um, Keith Quatrin, Jones, Keys, and Lesage were all players that weren't on the free jacks last year right yeah. so it's like they went out and they got those guys um tom kinley went out and you know you know signed th- those players and they all came in and made a big impact obviously some guys too like connor young um who didn't feature in the final but it's like that's another canadian that he went out and got to and they you know they've um they made a big a a really big you know push to acquire canadians this year and um, it's great to see that that paid off well for them. I think again, like it, it bodes really well for Canadian rugby that teams with a lot of Canadians on it are finding success in MLR. Again, I will reiterate the point that even though we do joke about the fact that, haha, like when we're doing predictions, we'll joke, be like, ah, this team's got more Canadians, so they're gonna win. Ha ha ha. Um, mm-hmm. this is three out of five champions where at the very least. If you even if you include the arrows, at the very least, the team with the second most Canadians has won the MLR Shield. Um, yeah. So the first year in twenty eight in twenty um in twenty nineteen, it would have been Seattle. So that's pre arrow, so they had the most, and then Seattle again the next year, and now New England is. So it's been pretty constantly, um, and even even LA when they won, they had a fair number of Canadians too. Although I'm kind of blanking on if they had the most. Um, but well, it's I, I put it this way. You don't need to have the most Canadians on your side. You just need to have more 
than your opposition in the championship <laughs> yeah. final. Um, but yeah, exactly. So I mean, it it is great to see, and obviously, um, I think too, like you can kind of see like the expressions on a lot of these guys too. Um, lifting the shield and you know if you follow any of them on like instagram follow any of the free jacks on instagram um there's been a lot of party videos and stuff going up mm. and it's like mm. i think it's it's just with what like rugby canada and the players that play for rugby canada i feel like i've gone through in the past like two or three years um it's great to see like a massive group of them just get a huge win yeah like and you know find find like some success be like win a championship um i just think i just think that's really great man and i hope um like i hope they're all still uh still uh partying uh with it and enjoying every second of this right now um this is not really talking about the game this is just kind mm-hmm. of congratulating everybody um but um this was an unreal game and i mean shout out to to obviously you know uh unfortunately um on the losing side of it but michael smith um i thought played played really well um when he came into the game um i think you know around the 50th minute or so um he was critical in the setup to augsburger's second try and very nearly had a breakdown steal um right before larue milan's try which would have been uh obviously that could have if that goes through, that completely changes the outcome of the game. Um, he was very close to getting it. Um, but um, and then obviously Justice Sears Duber and Jason Higgins also on that team. Um, they all they both had they all had great seasons. Um it, it's uh, you know, same with the rest of the San Diego Legion. It's you know, they set all the records, most wins, uh, most wins in the regular season, longest winning streak. The longest winning streak one hurts when you uh the, when that streak yeah. ends in the most important game of the season. But yeah, well, you can't take anything away from what San Diego <laughs> did. But at the same, New England's been so good all year, and um, man, just just uh just what a game. Do you have any anything you want to uh, highlight from the game? Like, what did you see? Any big moments that you want to uh, point? I, at? So, so yeah, I think the whole thing with um. Yeah, I think Manu and San Diego. San Diego as a whole, one of the things that was put on, I think, one of the uh, MLR match threads for the uh, conference finals was that San Diego was showing a lack of discipline and making errors. And it's like, oh, they need to clean that up. Um, otherwise, New England are going to... Well, they said, oh, New England will take them to the cleaners, which clearly didn't happen. But... Uh, and you know you can't blame everything on one player, and it's just that you know Nonu's mistakes just happen to coincide with, um, you know, points opportunities either uh, against San Diego or for New England. But I, at the same time, really but that's the thing is that then my counterpoint is that if the game is decided by only one point. Yeah. There are a number of instances in which other players on San Diego could have changed that as well. It's like I don't blame if no. you if you win you uh-huh. win as a team, you lose as a team. So I think, I think that's like the approach to take it. But yeah. It it did seem to it came down to who which team was more clinical, which you yeah. can't just say, Oh, I who's it, who's it, the it, better it, defenders, who's the better attackers? Because you know, from New England from New England's perspective, they 
they got three tries in, but two of them came from just picking the right opportunities. So for Jacobson well, and Milan, for example, yeah. um, for you could then counter that and say, well, with San Diego, with um, uh, what's his name, uh, Osberger, for his second try, you know, that came from. Uh, team play from Michael Smith and then that getting passed out eventually ending up in Augsburg's hands to go over Will Hooley getting his uh, third conversion of the game and then he had to go off with yeah. uh, I think it looked like a tight muscle or something like that That's such um, a tough way to end a brilliant career um, Yeah it, have, that, have that kick and then San Diego's winning when he leaves and then yeah. You can't factor into the rest of the game. Um, I know, but it, it's also in those kinds of situations, you just have to trust your teammates. And, you know, injuries are things that are out of players' control, essentially, of like sometimes they're just like a freak accident. Sometimes it's, you know, father time catching up with you and saying you're not recovering from this as quickly as you would have when you were younger. And yeah, I think it it, it is like, Upsetting, but then again, we also had like Eric Howard being limped off in like the twentieth yeah. minute of his final game. So it can be a cool yeah. sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So as in, if for Will Hooley to like say my last act was to score the conversion, which helped push us further ahead, I think that's fair enough on him. And you know, you can always say like, oh, well, if when I was on the field, we were winning and then I came off the field and the end of the game, we weren't. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, as in, I'm just kidding. You just got to you just got to recognize that, you I know, some things are out of individual control. But, you know, like I said, this was an absolute classic. This is a game that you'll be recommending neutrals be watching or getting the highlights of and. Yeah, just watching it again and again, and it'll be the focal point. And, you know, when we get to the 2024 championship final, it's going to be like, all right, guys, this is what happened last year. You've <laughs> got to do better than that. So, yeah, yeah. but ultimately, a great uh, game. Congratulations to Canada South. I mean, New England. <laughs> um, and, to be, and to be honest, to bring it back to the Dropkick Murphys, it would have been quite awkward if you said, I'm shipping up to Boston, and they just reacted with, <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was actually the funny thing, right, is that, uh, you know, it all kind of felt inevitable when you really think about it. Um, I think, I I feel like, um, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I feel like I have to defend Nanu a little bit. Um, obviously, the first New England try, like you said, this came kind of came down to who... Like they're two, they're the two best teams in the league, and they don't make mistakes very often. But it does kind of feel like this game was just like try to figure it, like try to make the other team make a mistake, and that's gonna end up being what wins the game. Yeah. Um, obviously, Jacobson's try four minutes in, that's off uh, New England, that's off a San Diego mistake, and they made them pay for it real quick. Um, Oidevin came back real quick. Augsburger had two really well-worked tries as well. Um, Balakenya had a gorgeous try, great finish. Milan's try, I think San Diego goes all in, I think, to that previous rock with Mike Smith trying to get the breakdown steal. And I think when you have that is New England's got a pretty big overlap on that side. And I think 
I think Nanu in that moment, I don't necessarily, I don't really think it's a bad play. Um, I think it's like, you've got to make a decision. It's like, do you want to try to go for that intercept or make a tackle? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like, if you go for the tackle, that's a quick offload to the guy on the wing. If you go for the intercept, it's, if, if you get it, if I think it's like, if you go for, I think it's like, if you go for the tackle, you either have to a hundred percent make that tackle or that's just an offload to the guy on the wing and it's a try. And I think if you go for the intercept, you have to hundred percent make that intercept or the guy walks in for a try. Right. Um, yeah. So I think you're kind of in a, a bit of a difficult spot. I think he just, if he, like, I think he just, he made his split second decision to jump out of the line and he wasn't, he wasn't that far off from getting it either. Um, but Hey, great pass. And uh, that was a really well worked. That was, I think that's one of those things too, where it's one of those plays where I think in sports, in sports media and everything, hmm. we everybody always goes to like, okay, where did somebody screw up? And it's like everyone's really quick to be like, we screwed this up. That try is incredibly well worked by New England. Um, yeah. Everything, every, you know, every phase, their, you know, their support. There, like Mike Smith really does almost get that ball. And I can't remember off the top of my head what New England players were there, but they got there and saved that rock. Um yeah. and I can't I'm I feel bad. I can't remember who it was. But that was a great play from them because they roll Mike Smith back and keep that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but that leads and, back to just you gotta be clinical. You can't give exactly. anyone an exactly. inch, you that's can't give them a moment. Thing. But yeah, that's I what I mean. As you're saying, yeah. you have to be clinical and like we're saying, like people I know are looking at it to be like, oh, like Nanu made a mistake on that play, and it's like I think, I think he read that as like he's got two options. He picked one option, but it's like the reason that that works is because I think like New England put them in a tough spot with what they did in the buildup, right? They were able to kind of like use their forwards. They used the width a little bit. Poland was getting the ball out really quick. Uh, Patros was like, distributing well. Every forward had a good run. They were breaking the game line. They were getting the ball back and placed in a position to allow Poland to get it out quick. All of that, um, all of that worked uh, worked really well. Um, all of that, all of that worked really well for them, and they did a great job creating that try and creating the overlap to give that situation where. Nanu had to make that choice and have, you know, and Poland's pass to Milan was money, right? And then yeah. Milan just did the rest. I think it's a great try. Um, for some reason, I think though, in like sports media and sports fans, and when we're online, everybody for some reason always wants to jump on where somebody made a mistake, where it's just like New England, sit like New San Diego didn't lose this game. Right, New England yeah. won. Yeah, um, no, I in the I agree with that. It's like New England fully deserved this win, and it's a big part because, like you said, it came down to who's the most clinical, and New England on this play, all fifteen guys on the field for that, like you know, however many phases that was, right? They played essentially perfect rugby to open up the San Diego defense, mm-hmm. right? and. It, and they fully deserved that try. And um, it was 
yeah and it was an incredible try to watch and um um and great way to end the game too obviously with the legion having another chance and the defense of new england showing up big and the set piece um kind of honestly slight negative thing this is kind of also why i don't like the two reset rule because new england should just be like we're gonna screw this scrum up like yeah. the whole time but either way that's a side that's an aside but that was great and then yeah like you said um the dropkick murphys were performing and i mean if that is not just um like should we we should have seen this coming like this should have been <laughs> inevitable um what i i got the pick last week you let me pick first who i was going to take in this game and i said san diego and i did not factor in that the iconic boston band is going to um be performing at the uh the half at the uh, post game show and however like i think this is also part of the event and my god the mlr needs to go back to doing this next year um we got to go back to neutral venues plan stuff like this all the time mlr mm. um the the new england free jacks jumping on stage with the dropkick murphys while they play shipping up to boston incredible it's the it's yeah. literally the best thing that the mlr has ever done um like genuinely like there is has not been like a cooler like I mean, we've all seen videos of every team celebrating. Nobody's videos look anywhere near as cool as the New England Free Jacks, like literally being on a stage with 10,000 people on the field while a band from the town that they're from sings a song about bringing something to the town that they're from. <laughs> um, right. And that that was incredible. It was cool. Um, all the Dropkick Murphy guys wearing the uh, Rugby Union Now shirt. That's... Uh, that's uh that's some nice vibes for the players too. Um yeah. but uh yeah, so like that that whole thing was uh like that's insane, like the way that that the way that that worked out. And I mean, I'm sure the San Diego Legion would have hopped up on stage with them too. Um yeah. I don't think they have any songs about San Diego, but I'm pretty confident they have neutral songs that you could use for anything. Uh, but I'm pretty sure they probably would have hopped up on stage with them too. But that just like every video of that just looks awesome. Of like, yeah, like them celebrating with 10,000 fans on in the like on the field with them. Um, and um, yeah, it is brilliant. And the other thing the, the MLR does, and I have to applaud, they do the trophy presentation correctly because the NHL mm -hmm. is like the only other league that does it correctly. Give the damn trophy to the players first. Yeah. Um, that's like that's what it goes. Honestly, the Super Bowl, the World Series, NBA, you guys, they're all dumb. Um, give the trophy to the players first. Well yeah. done on just handing it straight to Jacobson. Jacobson puts it up and then passes it around to everybody else. It's how it should be done. I have no complaints, no negative feedback for um, the entire event of this final. Yeah. Other than, I guess I picked San Diego when they lost, but that's on me. Um, and I don't, that's on me. Yeah. And I don't blame San Diego for that at all. Well, when it comes to deciding what you want in your act at your next neutral venue uh, in 2024, MLR, can I recommend uh, bands such <laughs> as Sum 41, Rush, uh, <laughs> Bare Naked Ladies? Uh, you know, just just to preempt uh, how the final's going to go. But yeah. yeah, so that brings a conclusion to the 2023 Major League Rugby Nickelback. season. Nickelback. We can do Nickelback. 
back. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure we could afford Nickelback. Anyway, anyway, what Dropkick Murphys can't be cheap either, dude. You know what it would be though, for sure. It would be the Arkells. The Arkells is like the the token Canadian band at everything. Right. Hey. Okay. Let's move on. So that brings a conclusion to the 2023 MLR season and postseason. Next week we are doing our end of year awards, as we have done for the past few years. But we also want your opinions and we want your votes as well. So keep an eye on our social media channels and fill out the forms attached, and we will be including the fan response of our end of year awards. Right, we've been talking about a team with a former All Black, so let's change to the current Black Ferns, who came to Ottawa this past week to face Canada in the Pacific Four Series. And, you know, one team is a are the current defending world champions, having just come off a professional domestic competition, and the other's Canada. So I think we kind of knew how this game was going to go. That sound like Canada's bad. <laughs> Canada's not bad, but when you're comparing any team to the number, I would say number one ranked in the world, but that's England. But, you know, the world champions, they're obviously not going to be right on the same level. And considering when this game happened last year, uh, the final result was New Zealand 28, Canada nil. So for Canada to score anything would have been a huge improvement. And good news, they did. Uh, unfortunately, New Zealand scored a few times before, in between and afterwards, but that doesn't matter. Um, so by the time uh, Canada does get on the scoreboard, it's already uh, 21-0 to New Zealand. You know, at, at a point, it looked like they were scoring points per minute. They were just, like, loading them up. It took Canada a bit of a while to get into this game. But then we get to around about the uh, 25 to 30 minute mark. And, you know, Canada's starting to turn it on. They're, uh, they're not making some of the same penalties that they made earlier in this game. And in actual fact, the Black Ferns are get, uh, making penalties and making errors. And all of a sudden... Um, Canada finds itself uh, 10 metres from the try line and they get a penalty and it's Sophie de Goody who takes it as a quick tap, goes over and scores the first try for Canada of the evening and then, just to top it off, converts her own try because is she de Goody or is she de Goaty? Yes, I did read your uh, Twitter feed, Derek. Yeah, so um, did everybody else. I saw that floating around a lot. It's uh, the, the proudest moment of my, uh, my Twitter life right now, I think. <laughs> Yeah, and so then, you know, obviously getting a point on the board, you want to keep the momentum going, and that is what happened because, you know, the forwards were just having, like, a great um, match so far, and it ended up being um, Forteza who went over for uh, the second try after Tyson Bokaboom broke free from the mall, and it were, Forteza was just in the right place to get that pass to score. And I've got to say, even that mall leading up to it was just phenomenal. It was a tactic that worked fantastically well last year in the World Cup, and it did take a while for it to um, be a tool that could be used by Canada, but when it did, boy, was it... It took a while for the Black Ferns to try and, like, stifle that, but... 
yeah, when it worked, it really worked. And so we go into the sheds, Canada 14, New Zealand 21. And, you know, I think a bit of a false dawn for Canada because as soon as um, we get out into the second half, it is the Blackfern Duplessis who went on to actually be named player of the match, getting her first try of the game. And, you know, getting New Zealand the bonus point, which we all knew was going to happen. I mean, every single game of the Pacific Four series has had the winning team win by 50 points or more at this point. So, you know, not a big surprise that uh, the Blackferns get the uh, bonus point try. And, you know, and then it keeps uh, pretty steady. You know, uh, New Zealand aren't able to get as far as they want to. Canada's holding the line. And then we have uh, another push uh, towards with um, Justine Pelletier, uh, basically like guiding uh, action from uh, Scrum Half until uh, we get uh, you know a power play by the forwards coming well, and when this time is like pushing against try line. And to be fair, New Zealand did put in a strong defense. You know, anytime Canada looked to be going towards an over. Uh, Blackfern was already there to stop them until eventually the uh, player lineup just had a um, Olivia de Merchant picking up the ball and noticing that there was only backs in a way. And she was like, please, and reaches over, scores uh, Canada's third try of the game to bring it to 21 nil, thanks to Sophie de Goody's um, third conversion of the game. And that's where the good news ends, because from that point onwards, New Zealand were like, wait a minute, we're the world champions. We need to show how good we actually are. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, and to be fair to both these teams, they've already qualified for the next World Cup. They have the freedom to bring new players in and test them out and see how well they can do in the 15 setup. I mean, we had Olivia Apps getting her first 15 cap uh, in this game. And that's her first cap for Canada, if you ignore the over 100 she's got in sevens. But, you know, doesn't matter at this point. Um, But we've also... And to be honest, the entire um, back line was a mismatch of players you knew, players with um, lots of experience, players with, you know first opportunities to really show at the 15s and New Zealand really took advantage of that. Now, to be fair, they do have a lot of new players themselves, but again, having a super rugby series to play prior to coming over and also having Australia to boss around again, they won, they beat them by over 50 points the previous week, uh, gave them a bit more of a warm up, so to speak. And, you know, we then get tries from Holmes uh, to Nettie. We get another from Duplessis. We get another from uh, Paul. And so, yeah, not all of them get converted. Holmes was only able to convert six of the eight tries. And with the fu- and just before the final try by Tanetti, uh Sophie DeGoody uh, went from DeGoody back to DeGoody as she gets a yellow card uh, for the final three minutes. And then on the restart, uh, Canada can't control the ball. It goes forward. Full-time whistle goes for Canada. 21, 
New Zealand 52. But as I said at the start of the podcast, there was a crowd of over 10,000 here in Ottawa. That is the largest crowd for a Canada women's game in Canada ever. So huge congratulations to um, Canada women's team for putting on a great game. Congratulations to everyone at Rugby Canada for promoting this and getting the word out. Uh, I even saw that they had their promotional tactics included giving tickets to um, young people around the Ottawa area. And even in the build-up, we had Canadian players hosting uh, clinics for rugby clubs in the greater Ottawa area. So, you know, fantastic outreach. It's I think it's the first home game in seven years is uh that wasn't part of the World Cup. Or sorry, the first uh home game in seven years that in Ontario. Because we've had games in BC, yeah. we've had games I was in say, I feel like that's... Nova Scotia over the past couple of years. But yeah, I, I remember a statistic coming up saying like first game it's been a in while. seven years. And I was like, wait a minute. They did have some warm-up games last year, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think yeah, the first home game in Ottawa in seven years in Ontario, sorry, in like seven years. Yeah, it's so. been a while. Um, yeah, like we said at the top of the show, um, just great to see, you know, uh, just the amount of people that were there. Obviously, ten thousand plus. Again, um, it's in you know, it's incredible. Um, and. You know, all the work that it looks like the the women's team are, is doing around the Ottawa area um, definitely looks like it's paying off as far as, uh, you know, growing the fan base in, in that region. And obviously, you know, just the outreach and, uh, you know, making the uh, the Rugby Canada brand and the women's team um, a little bit more well-known. Uh, the game itself, too, um, another uh, another great display of rugby. Um, super fun. Um, it's always cool to see a haka on Canadian soil. It's always fun. They uh, they don't happen too often, so it's always that's always a bit of a treat. Um, I think for the game itself, um, as you kind of mentioned, Stu, the forward pack I think matched up really well with New Zealand. Um, I thought you know in the breakdown, um, uh, you know especially uh, Sophie Dagudi um was you know, had a couple breakdown steals. They were able to get some turnovers, um, right? And they they matched up really well with them physically. They matched up well with the scrum. They matched up well with the line out, even though there's some miscues there. Um, Canada, I think their penalty count early on really hurt them. I think it got up to like six or seven before New Zealand even got one. Um, so I think that hurt them. Um, like you kind of said, I think the story of this game though was just um was the backs, right? Mm. And um it's the the black ferns are uh they're pretty good, as you mentioned. Yeah. They're they're a pretty good team. And yeah. uh, they're uh they're they are you know, one of those teams that's like they they can score from anywhere. And there was a lot of plays in this game where the Canada kicked the ball and Black Ferns would just run a counterattack off of whoever happened to catch that ball. And within seconds, it was it, it was in the um Canada's walk into their goal line because it was, uh New yeah. just scored a try, right? So it's they they the counterattack game really worked extremely well for the Black Ferns. Um they did a like uh they won that kicking exchange, they won that territory. Um, the, the backs in general, New Zealand scored eight tries in this game. Seven of them were from backs. 
um, which is just kind of the, like, I think a stat that kind of just shows how dominant the backs were in this one. Um, Of that seven, five of them were, they had five different back try scorers as well. And Connor, the hooker was the other try, um, which was um, one minute into the game. So they scored, obviously they scored first and then they scored often after that. Um, but I think, you know, looking at this game, there was, um, you know, obviously like, um, Brunt, Duplessis, Paul, Holmes, and then, um, DeMonte, uh, the fly half for them. Like they just, uh, they, they torched the Canadian backs all the whole game. Um, they were just constantly, constantly finding gaps in the defense and, um, and, you know, some solid offloads and their speed is incredible too yeah um and um they were honestly though too like they were getting it done on both sides of the ball they made some really nice defensive plays again mm-hmm. if you kind of look at um uh canada the reverse of that um all three of canada's tries were from forwards um yeah. right and uh they were good tries like they were obviously really well worked like i said i think canada's forwards really matched up really well and when they were attacking with the ball um it like they were able to um you know kind of much the same as new england um what we were just talking about right um you have the proper ruck support and you can uh, open up defense you play well through the phases and are composed with the ball right um yeah. I think Renee Holmes, I think, made one of the best tackles I have ever seen in a rugby game. And at that point, I was like, this is going to be a very long day for Canada. Um, when Forte yeah. had basically a 20-meter break to the try line. And Holmes t- somehow tackled her from behind and held her up at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely, it's not the hardest tackle I've ever seen. But it's like might be technically the best tackle. I have no idea how she did that. Um, that was incredible. At least Forteza got her try later on, but um, yeah. I really do wonder because that was that was kind of before New Zealand really started to go off and get that big lead. I really like if Forteza scores there. I wonder how much that changes the game. Um, but Holmes, like that tackle was just incredible. Um, and yeah. uh, who knows what it looks like if she, the game looks like if she doesn't make that tackle, if Canada gets a little bit of that momentum, but she did, and they can't. New Zealand went on to absolutely dominate this game. It's just, it's just one of those. Yeah. It's it, the scoreline's not that important. It's a really cool day for. Well, the scoreline yeah. is important, but ultimately, it's like it is a really cool day for Canadian rugby. So it's yeah. hard to be too disappointed. But um, New New Zealand was clearly the better team in this game. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really interesting next week. And yeah. uh, but, but before I talk about that, I will talk about the result of the earlier game, which was USA versus Australia. Again, uh, you know, same sentiment as before. Australia will have their um, uh, Super W series, which has been going on. And, you know, they were obviously very disappointed with their result against the Black Ferns last week. Um but the USA, they came and they, you know, they put in a few scoring efforts, but it it was just a clear mismatch between um, these two teams. The final score, USA 17, Australia 58. So this places Canada, I believe, uh, I believe they're still 
second in the Pacific Four series because they're on uh, five points and they have a uh, smaller point differential. I'll just quickly confirm that. But more, more importantly, they are above fourth. And with uh, the USA set to face the Black Ferns next week, it ain't looking good for the uh, Americans, to say the least. Um, Canada basically needs only one uh, table point, and they will secure their position in the WXV, which is the new women's international competition, which will be taking place uh, this October and November. Which means uh, big being thing, big thing next week is just going to be to score four tries. Absolutely, uh, or well, ideally win, no, score four, and tries. then <laughs> score well, four tries, win, but yeah. score four tries. Yeah, and um, that'll be confirmed. And uh, although, to be honest, um, after the All Blacks U.S. Um, sorry, Black Ferns USA game, uh, it should already be decided by then, anyway. So. But, you know, you just want to have a bit of home pride, win at home in front of all these fans will certainly make a difference. And yeah, so, you know, more action coming up this Friday. Uh, so again, those games are USA versus New Zealand before concluding with Canada versus Australia. And we're going to briefly touch up upon some other Rugby Canada results because, well, Saturday, let's just say it wasn't Canada's day. So in the opening of the Pacific Force series, we also had a curtain raiser between Canada and the USA. Uh, at half time, uh, it was the women's U20s, I should say, uh, between Canada and the USA as well. Um, at half time, Canada was leading uh, the USA, but in the second half, the Eagles just turned on the Jets and the Canada barely had a response from them. The final score, Canada 24, USA 40. And at the and earlier in the day, over in Europe, where Canada are taking part in their uh, men's under-18 summer tour in the Netherlands, a very close encounter, which ultimately went the way of the hosts as the game finished Canada 20, the Netherlands 27. Close encounters, but... And disappointing results, I'm sure, for all the player, all the Canadian players at least, but invaluable experience that they'll be able to take forward uh, going into their next games and next encounters. And yeah, yeah, it feels weird that we're not making predictions for the okay. next round of uh, MLR, but that is it. There is no MLR coming up uh this weekend but what is is the aforementioned pacific four series and those games as well as the rugby championship between uh the men's teams of australia new zealand south africa and argentina will be available on tsn tsn.ca the tsn app and tsn plus and remember that we will be posting our uh survey on our social media channels that you can take part in as you vote for your uh, end-of-year awards for the players across the MLR season. And you can find that on our social media channels, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and now Threads. Yes, we stay up to date. And they are all at The Rouge Rugby. 
Uh, we also have a YouTube channel at The Rouge Rugby with episodes of the podcast as well as extra interviews with players and coaches. Make sure to like, subscribe, hit the bell notification and stay up to date with all our videos. And if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, as well as our written pieces, you can find those on our brand new website, larougerugby.ca, and you'll find our podcast also available on Spotify, S4P, and Apple Podcasts. Derek, where can the fine people find you on social media? At Brissette the Jet, I think, anywhere on every social media platform, but I honestly have no idea how many of them there are anymore. Um, what's new? I do have threads, but I know there's like, there's like nine more that have popped up in the last like two weeks. Um, are we still using Twitter? What's going like, is Twitter, are we, are we just gonna, are we going down with the ship on Twitter or are we? Uh, yeah, I think so. Basically it's gone. Basically. Basically we're waiting until uh, Elon Musk gets knocked out in his cage fight with Mark Zuckerberg. And then after that, I think we'll be (laughs) leaving. Um, and you can find me across social media on whichever platform you choose. And if I'm not there, let me know. But if you search for Hardman, spell H4RDMAN, uh, you should find a picture of me. And we can go from there. Well, that's where we're going to end this episode. Derek, thank you for joining me. And thank you all for joining us for another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time. 